If you are a nerd, you are going to love this episode. We tried to get Mark Hamill on the show, but he was busy, so we went with our number two pick, J.D. Roth. They look similar, but J.D. is actually better at about talking money, so it worked out in the end anyway. Enjoy our chat. Welcome to Fire Drill Podcast, where side hustles, savings, and creativity lead to financial independence. With your hosts, Gwen from Fiery Millennials and Jay from Millennial Boss. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Fire Drill Podcast. I'm super stoked. If you can't tell from the background, I am recording this live at FinCon, FinCon 2018. I am super stoked to be here. Um, I wish that Jay was here, but she has yet to fly in. So I'm doing this one solo by myself. You're taking off the training wheels. Taking off the training wheels. I am super stoked to learn a whole bunch of awesome information and maybe pick up some paying gigs here at FinCon. I can't wait to see what happens to the podcast after this. We're going to learn some good stuff, and we changed some stuff around after podcast movement, so I'm sure we'll learn stuff that we need to implement immediately (laughs) on the podcast. So um, I'm not just doing this solo, solo, because that's a lot of talking, and my voice is already starting to go out. So for a guest today, as you might have figured out already, is JD of JD Roth fame. Welcome, JD. Thank you very much, Gwen. I'm happy to be here. I'm so happy that you're here and that we could squeeze in a beautiful 40 minutes of time together (laughs) during our FinCon space. It's more difficult than some people might imagine. It's packed. There's over 2,000 people here, and there are friends and colleagues, and everyone wants a piece of us in a good way, not in a bad way. (laughs) Yes. So um, we coordinated schedules and found some time that we could record, and bada bing, bada boom, made it happen. So, um, JD, if people have been living under a rock and they don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself very briefly for our audience? So, Gwen, you keep going back to this very briefly thing. It makes me think maybe I have a reputation for being verbose. Anyway, if you haven't heard of me, my name is JD Roth. I have been blogging since before blog was even a word. So, over 21 years now. But I haven't been writing about personal finance all that time. For about the past 12 years, I have been writing about uh, money. And I'm best known for creating a site called GetRichSlowly.org, where I teach people how to... Well, I started by teaching people how to get out of debt. I was teaching myself, most of all. And now my focus is on trying to help everybody, no matter where they are in their financial journey, get further along. So, J.D., do you remember back, way back in the, in the past, when we met? Uh, this sounds like a trick question. <laughs> I think we met at a Camp Mustache Southeast, but perhaps we met earlier. I'm being given a look. We we must have met earlier. So no, Gwen, I do not remember when we met. You know, I'm hurt, J.D., because I hold this memory very fondly in my heart, and you don't even remember it all. And I'm sure no, that's I because... think I do. I think you're fabricating something. <laughs> I think that there is because there is a minor amount of alcohol involved. Which oh, <laughs> well, dis- that, that is very possible. Will distort some uh, anybody's memories. Uh, but we met for the first time three years ago at FinCon in San Diego. San Diego. Okay. Yeah. We met that first time and I went up to you and I said, hi, JD, my name's Gwen. And I held out my hand for a shake and you said, oh, no, I know who you are. We get a hug. I don't remember doing that. Yeah. But there might have been, as you say, a minor bit of alcohol involved. But you made me feel really special, especially as somebody at my very first... Oh, hug time. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we just hugged it out. You missed that. But, Gwenny, I I feel like I've gotten to know you over the past few years. And I think you're an amazing person. And you know... No, and you know I think you're beautiful, and I think you're a wonderful person. And okay, so, JD's going to make I, me cry. Even though I cannot remember the first time, 
<laughs> I, I've enjoyed it. That doesn't negate our relationship Correct. at all. Correct. And those who know me really well would tell you my memory sucks anyway. So <laughs> That's true. It, it's, it, not, it's nothing personal. My memory just sucks. <laughs> okay, so you started out blogging way back before blogging was a thing. Yes. With Get Rich Slowly, right? That no, was, no. That wasn't your first one, right? No, no, no. Oh, I, right. Back then, we didn't... I guess maybe we named our blogs, but we didn't call them blogs. We called them web journals. All right. And then we called them web blogs. And then somebody coined the term blog, I think in like 99 or 98, something like that. Jeez, I was little. Yeah. Well, you're young. And I, <laughs> I'm very, very old. So back then, I was just writing about cats and computers and comic books, basically nerdy things that I like. Basically, the only reason the internet exists is because of cats. And computers. And computers. Well, obviously computers. You wouldn't obviously. have the internet without computers. <laughs> And comic books. Yeah, exactly. Eventually, I had a personal site where I was writing about that. And I was deep in debt at the time because unlike a lot of people in the financial independence community, I didn't start out good with money. I sucked with money. My parents were bad with money. They set a poor example, and I'm not trying to blame them. Right. But that is where I learned my financial blueprint is I picked it up from them. Statement of fact. Yeah. I did the same for my yeah. parents. Except it, it was... Did you start out poor with money? Or... I did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I started out poor with money, but after kindergarten, my mom got remarried. To a guy who is much better off than my biological father. So uh, I learned a whole set of different money lessons. That must have been interesting to see, to compare and contrast. I mean, do you remember comparing and contrasting, whether it was consciously or subconsciously? Well, of course it was, you know, compare and contrast. I moved from the ghetto of a town where I was learning how to steal. The ghetto of where? The ghetto of... of Iowa? Of Illinois. Uh, Illinois, okay. Yeah. There's um surprise there's gangs in the middle of Illinois. All right. And I have no doubt that I would have ended up in some risky business. Well, you're kind of in a gang now, I think. Well, it's a cult. Yes, I, I okay, like a cult. Yeah. Cult is better. Yep. There's less violence. <laughs> more drinking, but less violence. <laughs> there's a lot more drinking. But you know, I moved from having to share a room to get my own room and a house. We didn't have oh. to live in an apartment anymore. We weren't on free lunches. We could afford after school activities. Oh. Like my life got measurably better when my mom got remarried. So that sounds like kind of what my upbringing was like, because my family was very poor too. Free lunches. I forgot about the free lunches. I need to add that to my, like, my, uh, the tale I tell. Did you get free breakfast too? No, I ate at home. Oh, we had so, free breakfast and free lunch. I, I don't know whether free breakfast existed. It might have, but. Uh, I only remember we, that because somebody stole my Beanie the Turtle Beanie Baby. Fucker. I know, <laughs> while I was at breakfast. See, there we go. Now you're going to have to bleep that out. Explicit. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so, so, so your blueprint. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got, had a poor financial blueprint. But then in my adult life, I continued. I, I was even worse than my parents. I mean, I wasn't as poor as my parents were because my parents were pretty poor. But I made a lot of pretty crappy decisions about money. I got deep in debt. I didn't have uh, student loan debt, but I had credit card debt. So right. I had a lot of consumer debt. So I was writing about cats and computers and comic books. Around 2004, I decided I don't like being in debt. And I'm abridging this just for you because you think I'm verbose. Thank you. And uh, I don't think he's verbose, but we are on a limited time schedule. Okay. So uh, I, I started reading about personal finance. I started reading about getting out of debt. And I thought I saw a theme in the books that I was reading. Because before, I had wanted like magic bullets. I wanted get-rich-quick schemes. Literally, I, I was sending away in the mail for things like <laughs> how to make $20,000 in a year reviewing books. I have a little thing at home that I, I still have it. I was looking for quick fixes, and I started reading these books, and I thought, you know, there's a theme here. And, and, and they're saying 
you know, there's no reliable way to get rich quickly, but there is a reliable way to get rich slowly. So at my personal blog, which was called Folded Space, it's still out there. <laughs> and not that anybody ever goes to it or should. Oh, we are so linking that uh, show notes. Pretty fun. Well, you can find, I think you can find the old Get Rich Slowly post because what I did is I wrote a post for the personal blog called Get Rich Slowly that summarized a lot of these books and said, okay, this is what I've been learning. And uh, this was in May of 2005, I think, is when I published it. And so it went the May 2005 version of viral. And that I thought that was interesting. Oh, that's neat. And then time passed. And about a year later, uh, as I'm getting more serious about paying off my debt, I'm thinking, well, you know, how can I, uh, how can I make some extra money? And I thought, oh, you know, I really like this blogging stuff. And people are starting to make money from it. Maybe I can make money from blogging. First, I tried a comic book blog and decided I don't really like a comic book blog. Uh, and I thought, oh, I remember that Get Rich Slowly article. Why don't I start a blog called Get Rich Slowly? And I thought it would be the first personal finance blog on the internet. And it wasn't. Wah, wah, wah. There were others, but that's okay. You're the only one that's still around. No, there okay, are others that are still either. around. <laughs> but uh, it ended up being one of the best decisions I made because I, I was able to share my journey getting out of debt while helping other people get out of debt. And uh, I, I don't know. It was just fantastic. So, okay. so you... And I, I just want to point out, I think people can probably hear. Oh, maybe not because I can't hear it in the headphones. But we're starting to hear the thump, thump, thump. I think the first big session of FinCon is about ready to get underway while Gwenny and I are out here in the lobby doing a podcast. Yeah, because we're like that. We're hardcore. Yeah, we're hardcore. We don't need to go to those sessions. That's right. <laughs> we, we know everything, right? Well... <laughs> Yeah. That's kidding. I'm totally kidding. We don't know any. <laughs> we don't know everything. We know lots of things. But we might not know everything. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious. I know you're interviewing me, but I'm going to interview you here. What prompted you to start a blog? Because I, I think about this a lot. Nowadays, there's a, a lot of personal finance blogs out there. I don't so actually true. know what year you started yours, but it sounds like probably 2012, 2013. Three and a half years ago. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, 2014, 2000. 2015, I think. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, at that time, there's already a ton of personal finance yep. sites out there. So, uh, were you reading the sites already? Were you reading Mr. Money Mustache mm -hmm. and other stuff like that? Yeah. So, I found Mr. Money Mustache's blog in 2012, sometime around there, mm -hmm. uh, when I was in college. And I was bored one day, and I was on, um, oh, what's that website where it would just, like, serve you up random bits of whatever from the internet? and you could, I don't know. Oh, gosh. It's going to kill me because I, I it, it just shut down. Random bits of the internet. I yeah. don't know. So literally, you could just put in, like, I was interested in finance. So I put down finance, and it would just oh. give me random articles. And one day, it's popped up, um, StumbleUpon. That's it. Oh, it, it, StumbleUpon's gone? Yeah, it just, like, just went away a couple months ago. Oh, interesting. It just shut her down. So I was on StumbleUpon, like, all the time, and it gave me one of Mr. Money and Mossash's article one day. And I read it and I went, wow, this guy is amazing. Like, mm. this is what I want to do with my life. Because mm -hmm. I was already kind of on that path, but this, like, gave me clear goals and a, and a way to do it. And so I read his blog and other blogs in the community. And um, I actually found Paula Pant's blog oh, when yeah. she was in house, like, number two. Her parents are here this year really? because they live in Clearwater. We're in Orlando. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So... I found her blog and was like, oh, that's really interesting. House number two. And then I completely forgot about her blog hmm. until we were going to the Chautauqua. And I looked up her blog 
And I tried to find it again, but like, I didn't oh, know what it was. Oh, you couldn't remember what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I was like, this is her. Oh my gosh, I get to hang out with her. This is amazing. Yeah. Um, but I realized in the community, in the fire community at that point, there was nobody blogging like me. They were all mid thirties, married, software engineers with kids. Yeah. And they had completely different life situations. And you're not a software engineer. I was not you're a software engineer. You're an IT professional. <laughs> I'm in IT, but I was not a highly paid software engineer. Okay. You know, I had a mid-level salary, mid to high level. I wanted to find more people like me. Okay. And yeah, I thought great. that there was a gap in the community that I could fill where I could talk about my experience. And so then I started my blog and it turns out there were like four other blogs started right around my time that were pretty much the exact niche that I was in. Right. So I wasn't the only one. And I'm very glad too, because no, those, but the best one, because they came, they became my friends. Yeah. And now we're in the same situations and we can bounce ideas off each other. And it's just been an amazing way to become more integrated in the community. And I think you just brought up an interesting point that your listeners and your audience probably just never thinks about, because I don't think even my girlfriend, Kim, I don't think she thinks about it. This is a community, but it's almost like a family because yeah, you've totally. got your group that you hang out with. Mm -hmm. And I've got the group of people that I was working closely with even 12 years ago when I started Get Rich Solely. We are all to this day very close. And we have our little mastermind group. And we, yep. once a year, we go off and we do things together. And You're not talking about our mastermind group. Nope. 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 <laughs> I'm in two masterminds. Gwen and I are in a different mastermind together. This is a mastermind group that has existed in some form or other for almost a decade. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. It's a great way. We share ideas and we're colleagues, but we're also friends and we, we help each other out. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. So I wanted to become more of the community. I didn't want to just be Gwen. I wanted to be Gwen of something. And yeah. so I created Fiery Millennials and I put like six months worth of thought into that domain name. So I could have started in like, I don't know, September of 2014, but I decided that I, you know, I was agonizing. And you can see in my Facebook timeline too, it pops up memories. I'm like, I'm thinking about starting a personal finance blog. Oh, that's fun. And it's fun to track it in my, you know, on this day in the past. So anyway, thanks for the great tangent on WAG. Yes, started yes. Some of the blogging community. But um, you sold Get Rich Slowly. Yes. What did you do afterwards? After I sold Get Rich Slowly, I continued to work. And so I started Get Rich Slowly in April of 2006. I sold it in April of 2009. Mm-hmm. And I continued to work for it. it. Nothing changed on the surface outside. Your bank account was just like fat. My bank account was fat. <laughs> so I continued to edit and to write. And the sad thing was I was doing it for free. I could not tear myself away. I just felt this obligation to my readers. They, my readers had become my family, essentially, and I loved it. I and feel the same way about my readers and now my listeners of this podcast. That's awesome. You know, here comes another tangent. One that may get us into trouble. Uh-oh. So I, I, I spend a lot of time in the financial independent subreddit. Mm -hmm. And people on Reddit in general and on the financial independent subreddit in particular have this very dim view of blogs and bloggers. They think they we really are very, do. very mercenary. And I get why they, they think that. There are absolutely there are people out there who are in it for the money. But not everyone is like that. Very true. And it just, it pisses me off, the generalization. It, it just, it makes me angry to no end. I, ha I have to leave, when I see it on Reddit, I have to just walk away and go do something else. Because I know the people like you and me and, and many others, I mean, I worked for three years for free doing this stuff. 
And people will be saying, oh, but you got a huge payoff for selling the block. Yes, that's true. But I built the business and I sold it. Right. Did that make it wrong? So anyway, I worked for three years for free. And eventually there were so many other things going on in my life, in my personal life, that I just had to let it go. And plus, I was doing it for free. And the work, it, it's a lot of work. It is a lot and of work. And I said, screw it. I'm out of here. So in 2012, I finally just pulled the plug. And uh, I thought I retired. <laughs> so you went on that RV trip around the U.S. Yeah, well, it, it took three years. So for between 2012 and 2015, I did various things. I had a column in Entrepreneur Magazine for four years. I created a course. I created the Get Rich Slowly course. And, and I just did various other things. I did some speaking gigs. And I just had fun. And eventually, yes, I went on the RV trip around the U.S. My girlfriend, Kim, and I bought an RV. And we spent 15 months traveling in the United States. And it Oh, my gosh. It was the best time of my life. I loved it. It was so good. Yeah. I think that's really important because we have a lot of people in the community that are thinking about doing van life or traveling around an RV or sailboat yeah. or tiny house living. So you did that successfully for 15 months and you loved it. Yeah. And I would go back to it. If I could convince Kim to do it again, continually, uh, I, would, I just sent her the other day a Zillow listing for a 400-square-foot house, which is not an RV, but, you know, it's close. Small. On a small island in the south of uh, Washington's Puget Sound. That would and be beautiful. I'm like, dude, it's only $40,000. <laughs> Let's go buy that and move up there. All right, J.D., here's a question for you. Yeah. Which is more expensive to maintain, an RV or buying an old house and fixing it up? Buying an old house and fixing it up by <laughs> far. You know, living in the RV, so when we bought the RV, I owned a condo that was ostensibly, not ostensibly, it was actually paid off. I mean, I owned it free and clear. That condo cost me $1,100 a month to maintain. Mm -hmm. That's just the fixed cost, utilities, HOA fees, all this stuff. It was nuts. We lived on the road for 15 months in that RV for less than it cost for us to live at home in Portland. It was crazy. And now, as Gwen is hinting at, I have now purchased an older home that I knew was in bad shape. I had the inspection report, but it, I went into it with open eyes. Oh, GD. But they were not wide enough open. <laughs> and Are you me? Because this is my story. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I, I had a $60,000 profit between selling the condo and buying the house. I thought, oh, yeah, that's plenty to fix it up. That's more than enough, No, right? no, 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 no. Drop no. in the bucket. Yeah, it was like ninety or 100000 it cost to make the repairs. Those were the necessary repairs. To make sure the house didn't fall down. Yeah, and then when we bought the house, we wanted a hot tub. It was a big deal to us. It's like, we're buying it because we got a hot tub here. And then we get done spending ninety or 100000 going thirty <laughs> or 40000 over budget, and all of a sudden it's like, we can't afford the hot tub. So eventually, this is not a very fire thing to do. It's not a very mustachian thing to do. Anyway. I had to say, fuck it. We are buying the hot tub. So we spent another 50000 on elective expenses as opposed to necessary. Which was buying the hot tub, getting the electrical roughed out, getting the deck. Yeah, yes. Yeah. We, we, All we that totally stuff. replaced the deck. I mean, yeah. the, deck, the deck needed to be replaced, but you know, a deck is a luxury. It's right. not like it's the roof or the siding or the rotten bathroom floor. <laughs> so... You know, just um, something that could possibly happen. I, I, not I, that that happened to you. Right. I, I'm not like, well, I guess I am kind of like Jim Collins. And I know Jim has bought a house, even though he's kind of anti-house. He um, anti-house. He and I have talked about that. I like owning a home, but I don't think it's the best financial decision. I, I don't think not. it's, a, I'm not going to say it's a bad financial decision. I, to me, it's hit and miss, right? It can be good. It can be bad. Yeah. 
So I would say the same thing too. Depending on where you're at, you can play the appreciation game and walk away with a lot of money like you right. did with your condo, right? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That made you money. Yeah, but um, that was luck. That, that There's no skill involved. Yeah. That was, and it might be skill too to know like which areas are going to blow up in population. So more people want to then the real estate costs go up, yeah. you know, like that might be somewhat less than luck. But I think for the most part, yeah, it's, owning a home is expensive. You know, I, somebody said to me, rent is your ceiling. You know that you're going to pay $1,100 a month. A mortgage uh-huh. is the floor. Your expenses start at your mortgage and only go up from there. Right. Yeah. That's true. I, I've never thought about it like that, but that's, I love that. Right? Yeah. I thought we could commiserate over houses yeah. because neither of ours turned out the way we liked it to. But unlike me, you could afford to make all of those repairs where I had to bow out and I couldn't afford to make all well, the repairs. Yes. I had the money to make them, but I don't think it was necessarily the smartest financial decision. Yeah, that's neither here nor there though, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah, you could have you could have bought a, a different property with a house that wasn't necessarily falling down from rot. And, right. Yeah. But you really like that location. Yes, and we like the house. And so you like the house. It, we got a house. It's twelve hundred and thirty-five square feet. Uh, technically, it's actually like nine hundred thirty-five square feet. <laughs> but you know how people are that they remodel it and then they the official square footage is still nine hundred thirty-five with the county or wherever the records yep. are kept. But they count the extra three hundred of like the remodeled garage and the janky deck thing. So we touched on it briefly, but I want to get into it a little bit before we end this. So you mentioned earlier that you had a spending problem when you were a young adult. Yeah. And I've seen you, I've heard your story. I've heard you talk to me and I know that you have had some reoccurring issues with that. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily like major problems, but just things that like you go back into your old habits and, and set that up. So I just wanted to know, like, how do you constrain yourself? Because that's your set habit. And it's something that you have to force yourself to fix every day, right? You have to force yourself not to spend all that money. So how do you help? Sometimes I fail. Yeah. And sometimes you fail, which is okay because nobody's perfect. But how do you restrain yourself? How do you use that willpower? Everything for me when it comes to money and almost everything else comes down to psychology. And and that's probably because I'm a psychology major from college. And I read a lot of psychology books. <laughs> and so I have to play psychological tricks on myself. And this is true when it comes to finances. It's true when it comes to fitness. It, it, it's anything. Time management. So one of the big things I do to keep myself from getting into trouble with spending is I try to avoid temptation. So I mentioned comic books earlier. I love comic books. Well, if I don't go into a comic book store, I am much less likely to purchase comics. Or nowadays, I, I can give you an example of a big fail I had. On Amazon, nowadays I read my comic books on the, the Kindle. Right. And As uh, one does. Yes, exactly. So Amazon recently had a big sale on Marvel Masterworks, which collect the older, like, 1960s, 1970s. Mm-hmm. So I think they were, like, 3 or 4 or $5. I don't even remember what they... They were cheap. They were damn cheap. They were, like... They're normally $9 or $12 or right. something like that. And so I was like, whoa. <laughs> and so I loaded up on a... I'm not kidding, a couple hundred of these. And I just, I sat there. It was a laborious process to purchase them one by one by one. But if I had not been browsing Amazon, I would never have made this purchase. And so that's an example of a fail, but it illustrates the point. Yeah. Because if I don't put myself in a situation where I'm going to be tempted, 
then I don't succumb to temptation. So how do you avoid temptation in your life? What what steps have you taken? So maybe if somebody's struggling with this and listening to this, how can they implement those steps into your, into their lives? Well, if you if you know you have an issue with something, in my case, it's comic books. My ex-wife, it would have been shoes. Um, what do you like to spend money? Oh gosh, books, video games. Books, books and video games are both perfect examples. So stay out of bookstores. Stay off of steam. I mean, you try to avoid the area. And you know you're going to be tempted. Another thing is don't read the news about these things. Oh, so, yes. So, for example, I have a real problem playing video games. I, I, I've written about this before. In particular, I like the game Hearthstone, which is a digital yep. card game. Uh, and I play that with some members of the financial independence community. Funny how there's an overlap there. Yes. So I know it's an issue for me. And I feel really bad about myself when I spend two or three hours a day playing that game, especially if I'm doing it in the morning. And so I've just had to learn to not only uninstall the game, but to not even go to the uh, Hearthstone subreddit, for example, because I yeah. used to, that used to be, I'd be in the Hearthstone subreddit It's all a the trigger. Time. Yes, absolutely. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like a fun deck to play. And so if you know you have a problem with something, and each of us is different, so we're going to have our own triggers, our, our own yeah. issues, do what you can to avoid exposing yourself to information about whatever that is. Yeah, I think that's really profound. I had to unsubscribe from a ton of store emails. Store? Oh, really? Yeah. Well, so I don't, you get I don't ads have a, for sales and yeah, stuff? Yeah, I don't have a problem with shopping or anything, but, you know, they would add you to the list, and I was just too lazy to remove them. Yeah. And they would just, like, flood my inbox on sales. And I don't I don't buy things anymore. And so I'm like, well, why am I getting emails about all these sales when I have no intention of going to the website? I have no intention of going to the stores. Right. This is just unnecessary digital clutter in my life. It's just clogging up my inbox and I'm missing important emails. So I just went through and cleaned everything out. And now I'm much happier. And my friends are like, oh my gosh, I want to go to this store because they're having an amazing sale. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the thing that still happens nowadays. <laughs> that's funny. You know, there's another thing I'm thinking about. So you and I talked about how we both grew up kind of poor. Mm -hmm. Well, really poor. As a result of that, I developed what I call a scarcity mindset. Yeah. And I think, we've, I think we're all familiar with scarcity mindsets and abundance mindsets. And for... Each person's scarcity mindsets manifest in different ways. And in my case, it's kind of a fear of missing out. I'm afraid of not having something that I want. I realize that a lot of the things that I've bought in my life, I buy because, oh, look, I can afford it now and I might yep. need it someday. I might want it someday. It's not that I need it now or that I want it now or that I'm going to use it now, but it's because I might want to use it someday. And that's a recipe for disaster because then you end up buying books or video games or whatever that you never, ever actually play or read or use. Well, and see, for me, it's very interesting because I grew up without stuff and all my friends had cool stuff like light yeah. up shoes. Light like, up shoes. Yeah, I didn't have them. And I remember crying hysterically because I couldn't have them, but my mom just couldn't afford them. Right. And so when I grew older, I used stuff as a way to get people to like me because then I also had a bullying issue because I didn't have the right stuff, right? I didn't have the Abercrombie t-shirts. I didn't have the right name brand clothes. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a cool razor flip phone. You know, like I didn't have the stuff and people didn't like me because I didn't have the stuff. And I took all the wrong lessons from that. And instead, when I got money, you started buying stuff so people would like me. Right. And it worked. Did That's it really? That's the worst thing, it too. It worked. I mean, it's part my personality because people like me in general now. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, that not, How could they help it? And not that they're the people that I grew up with who didn't like me because I was frankly, had some personality issues to iron out when I was a kid. 
But yeah, so combination with my personality and the stuff that I had made it the place to hang out in college. I had the cool video game systems. I had a big TV. I could play DVDs. Like, that was a big deal. Your dorm room sounds fun. Oh, it was great. I had uh, an Xbox 360, a PlayStation 3, and a Wii. Yeah, like, it was the place to be. And people would be in my room all the time hanging out with me. And they were so, my friends. Wait, which did me. you prefer out of those three systems? Um, Nintendo is always going to be my favorite. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I have a Switch now. I really shouldn't because I don't play it that much because I try to force myself not to play it. Can I buy yours? Maybe. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to talk. Okay. <laughs> I haven't bought a Switch yet because I'm not, I can't be convinced to spend the money on it because oh. I know that I have bills to pay and that's a lot of my bill money. Yeah. And yeah. again, scarcity mindset. I'm afraid that there's no more coming in. And if I spend it frivolously on a video game system, I'm going to run out of money. Scarcity mindset. I have the same kind of thing. I realize that, and I think maybe a lot of people in the financial independence community share this scarcity mindset because even though we understand that we're financially independent or nearly financially independent, we're still like scared and nervous and we want more money. And it's not that we're greedy or want to be rich. We're just scared. Yeah. The more money you have, the more insulated you are from problems, right? Or isolated. There's a cushion. And, And, you know, I feel like we should be scared. I actually feel like we're headed for a recession or a crash. It's going to happen in a couple of years. It's not a matter of if, if it's, it's when. when. Yeah. And so, yeah, you absolutely should be scared. But I think some of us are scared regardless. Yeah, you know, we're all like smog hanging out on our piles of gold. Like, oh, <laughs> you can't touch it, you know. And thank you for getting that reference because, yes. nerd. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning the Hobbit cartoon. I hate the Hobbit movies, by the way. I hate Awful. all the Peter Jackson. Yeah, I know most people love the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings films. I do not. I'm looking forward to, is it Netflix or H? Somebody's doing it over. Oh, they are. Yes. And I'm looking forward to it because I think it's got to be better. I hate what they did to The Hobbit, but I'm, 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 I'm a fan of the movies. I would sit there. I've done multiple Lord of the Rings marathons. And I have too, because I have to, because I'm a geek and I even watch the Star Wars prequels, even though they're so shitty. So wait, wait for it. Are you ready? I took a class, an honors writing class. On the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. And we read The Cimmerillion and the entire trilogy in one semester. That is awesome. It was Uh, very, very... Trivia about me is I have trouble sleeping. And so I listen to audiobooks. And the audiobooks I sleep best to are the books that I know by heart. Because I can drift Mm -hmm. in and out, in and out. And so uh, here at FinCon, I especially have trouble sleeping in hotels. I've been listening to The Lord of the Rings. So I'm now on The Two Towers about midway through. And uh, so, yeah, I, somebody, I've, I've listened to them over and over and over again. True Grit is the other book. I somebody think. once described book two as the book of walking and talking, which is hilarious because it, it's, it's pretty totally much true. Yeah, it's really true. <laughs> except for we're except for when we're stuck in the middle of Fangorn Forest and we're just like not doing anything. Well, yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting how like people's backgrounds like affect their future so much. Oh yeah. And you know, both the, you and I grew up poor, and we don't want to be poor. And yeah. After this summer of being an entrepreneur and going out full time, I brushed with going back to being poor. I didn't have money, a fire hose of money coming in anymore. And so I got super stressed out and retreated in myself and went in this super ugly, dark place that was not great. Yeah. And now that I have money coming in, I'm back to my normal and happy self. I'm still a little stressed, but you know, like there was a big difference and I didn't want to write about it because. How could I be a money writer and I have problems with money? Yeah. But, but at the same time, having been poor once, don't you feel like you know what it's like and you could be poor? I mean... It was so long ago 
Oh, see, for me, it wasn't that, even in high school, we were poor. So I, I have very distinct memories. And the funny thing is, at the time, I didn't really realize how poor we were because I didn't really have a frame of reference. My, my parents didn't have a lot of friends, so they didn't hang around with people. I didn't go over. I remember going over to some relatives' houses and thinking, my God, they live in mansions. And in <laughs> retrospect, they probably didn't live in mansions. They were just normal houses. Right. But they, they seemed really wealthy. And my parents were always angry at me because I was not being well-behaved. But whatever. I was literally raised to go outside and run around wild. Yeah. That, that's what I did. Yeah. Anyway, so for me, my ex-wife used to get very frustrated with me because I would always say, you know, if I lose my job or something bad happens, I can always go work at McDonald's. And that would drive her nuts. She's like, no, why would you ever do that? I'm like, yeah, it's not that bad. I mean, my favorite job to this day was working at, well, my favorite job is writing at Get Rich Slowly. <laughs> but second favorite would be uh, working at McDonald's. Hmm. And I also know that even though I did spend so much time poor in my childhood, it was one of the happiest times of my life. Now, see, I was not very happy when I was poor, but it was taken care of as a child when we were poor. So, like, I didn't have any sort of grasp on how to, like, make those decisions right. um, because it was a completely opaque process for my mom. But then when I got out on my own, my parents kicked me out when I was 18. I still was kind of isolated from the effects of being poor because I was in college. I had a full-ride scholarship. My meals were covered for I had a place to stay. I didn't have to pay for any of that. As long as I didn't spend all my money on stuff, I was okay. So, like, I know how to not spend money. I'm really yeah. good at not spending money. Yeah. But that I'll be okay mentality. I knew I was going to be okay because I was going away to the military. So I didn't mind not spending money for a little bit of time. But, like, the thought of doing that for years and decades to come ahead of me petrifies me. I don't yeah. want to deprive myself that long because it's not fun. I don't like it. But see, this is what I call the forever fallacy. It manifests itself in a lot of ways. I'm working with a friend right now who is uh, struggling to get by financially. And I keep telling him he needs to take a second job. Uh, he needs to sell his motorcycle. He needs to do all these things. And he's like, but I don't want to do that forever. You it's don't have not to be forever. forever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same thing. I mean, if something were to happen to me and I had to live poor, I know it wouldn't be forever. I would just change my habits. I would buckle down and I, I know the stuff now. Yeah. So I can make it happen. Yeah. And that's all the difference. Knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is power. Well, hopefully we've left our audience with some knowledge and they can go and... And some entertainment. Hopefully some entertainment because right. I like to make this fun and educational. That's right. Entertaining and educational. So I'm going to let you go. I know you have things to go to. And uh, I also have things to go do. So we're going to end it here. But thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I, for coming awesome. on. awesome. I always enjoy Anytime. talking to you. I enjoy talking to you. And you know that. It's a good time. Yeah. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Go to our website, firedrillpodcast.com, to continue the discussion. And get the link to our private Facebook group. If you like us, leave us a review on iTunes. If you're like me, you have no idea how to do that. So... In the podcast app or in iTunes, search for Fire Drill Podcast, find it, click the Reviews tab, and write something to make my mother proud of me. We read every single review and want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for making this podcast possible. <laughs> Hello, everyone. We are done recording. Woohoo! Oh, can other people hear this? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's hilarious. I thought it was just us. Nope.